God, we just declare that you are faithful. God, you are good. And Lord, I I speak these words out. It's just a cry to you. Honestly, Lord, you know in my life there's been so many times that I've been in my backyard or in my car driving down the road just screaming, asking, where are you? God, what are you doing? Do you not hear me? And Lord, in the midst of all those confusing times and wondering times in my life, God, in the back of my mind, deep in my soul, Lord, I know you're there. Because in every life, every person's life, Lord, there is a desire to know the Father, the Creator, their Creator. And Lord, the enemy and life will throw at us all kinds of things. And we can struggle with confusion and bitterness and anger and guilt and strife and financial lack and uncertainty and all these things. But God, as we hear this morning, and we will hear, that in the midst of it all, there is one name that's above every other name, and it's really true. I don't just speak it because I want to get some kind of united response. It's a fact. And his name is Jesus. And he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And as Peter declared to these people, as your spirit led him, God, you are the way, and you are salvation. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be here together as family, as a body, as an ecclesia, called out ones. Bless Pastor Chris as he speaks. Lord, let us look deep into our soul and hear your word and guide us to your truth as we hold on to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Wasn't that wonderful? Come on. Wow. Well, I've been richly encouraged. I pray you also have over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Chris Nagera uh, did a fantastic job taking uh, a really uh, challenging message and packaging it up. It's a clarion call for us to be good leaders of our homes, to lead our families well. And, and I'll add to that, not just leading our current families, but for some of you, your future family, to lead them well. Last week, we had another great message by Adrian Pina as he preached on the topic of fear, that faith Our fear is an active emotion, but our faith in Christ should be all the more active. He made this statement. I declare it again. Jesus is greater than our fears. Amen? Let's say it together. Jesus is greater than our fears. Such a great reminder to put our faith into action. Well, now we are turning back to the book of Acts. And so let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. Now you can open it on your Kindle or your iPad or whatever form you have it in. I preach out of the ESV, just in case you're going down the scroll down menu and you're like, what version should I choose? ESV is fantastic, uh, as is all uh, Christ-centered versions of the Bible, but I just prefer that. And so open your Bible or pull it up on your phone or on your iPad and have it in front of you. We are turning back to the book of Acts. I'm going to stre- stress right up front. Uh, and it's clearly from the text itself that there are often two reactions to the work of the Holy Spirit, powerful work of the Holy Spirit. There are times when God will powerfully move in the life of a believer or in the lives of the community of believers and people will be impacted and they will lean in and they'll be asking the question, what does this mean? Love like this doesn't exist anywhere else. Generosity like this does not exist anywhere else. Community like this does not exist anywhere else. What does this mean? But then there will be the second reaction. 
And there are those who will see God's love on display, the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, and they will think to themselves, or they will say out loud, that those Christian people are just drunk on religion. Brainwashed. People who need a crutch. And we'll reject and begin to tear down the incredible work of God. And honestly, we do. We need to quickly address the naysayers. We need to do it in truth and grace and love. But we need to dedicate the majority of our time to those people who are leaning in. Man, when you see people and they're leaning in, you're going to dedicate time, effort, and energy to reaching those people because they're asking the question, what does this mean? And I hope that by the end of this message, you will come to see that it's not enough for us just to live out the gospel. We also need to proclaim the gospel. And that is exactly what is happening as we turn our attention to the early verses of Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit has been promised by Christ, has been poured out in power on the disciples and apostles. 120 men and women gathered in the upper room were literally rocked by the Holy Spirit, as you all remember from a few weeks ago. It was the sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the house. It was what appeared to be tongues of fire, discerning fire that began to align on each believer. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we saw, the church in its infancy immediately rushed out into the streets. We have to come to this reality, this conclusion, and come face to face with it. The church has always been intended to interact with and even infect culture. In the earliest moments of the birth of the church, the, the church rushes out into the community, declaring the glory of God. And as the church rushed out, I love the coincidences. You know the coincidences, that word, in our life? You know those coinkydinks? You know, and you're like, oh, isn't that interesting how that all came about? No, it's that reality that God's in control. You ever have those moments where you're like, how did I meet that person here? Wow, that's such a coincidence. No, dude, God's sovereign. He's in control. He's like planning our steps. Anyway, isn't it ironic or coincidental that it just so happened that as the church is rushing out in the power of the Holy Spirit, declaring the glory of God in all the languages of the earth, there were all of the nations already gathered in Jerusalem for this pilgrim feast called Pentecost. It's almost as if God superintended the events of Acts chapter 2 that we're peering in, this time capsule that we're opening, so it would coincide with this amazing feast of these nations who had come together. Jews from all over the then-known world had gathered in Jerusalem for the day that the gospel would be proclaimed. Acts chapter 2, verse 5. It just so happened. <laughs> they were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout Jews, men from every what? Every nation under heaven. That is, every nation where there were Jewish, Jewish followers, they, they would come back for this pilgrim festival. I find it fascinating that God brought the nations to Jerusalem for the proclamation and birth of the church. And as I thought about that, you know what? We often think, uh, we, we often think that we have to take the gospel out, and we do. And we have to recognize that the, the gospel is an international, intentional, global undertaking. It is. And sometimes we think to ourselves, we're not doing it enough if we don't go down to DFW and hop on a flight to like Somalia or Syria, Iran, Iraq. I know those are your top four destinations this summer, right? 
And we think to ourselves, like, I'm not hopping a plane right now to go, like, go to DFW to go to Asia or Europe. Some of you actually are planning. We have a group going to Puerto Rico. I mean, there is some tensionality. We are taking the gospel out. And, and some of us are sitting here, and some of you are called to international ministry, global missions work. And you know it, and it's eating at you. You can't sleep. You just, like, are constantly thinking and dreaming. And you, God, for whatever reason, has sovereignly buried your heart somewhere else in the world. And you're like, I've got to go get my heart. But for the rest of us, there's this, this constant maybe thought of shame or guilt, like we're not doing it enough. But here's the reality. Did you know that God has brought the nations to Dallas? Did you know that? Did you know in Dallas, Fort Worth, there is represented almost every single nation on earth five miles from here. Well, it's five miles by the, by the crow flying. Six miles, I don't know. It's 18 minutes away. There was a ministry called For the Nations, and I went there this week. And they are a ministry in the middle of Garland. Two-mile radius. Two-mile. 10,000 refugees all over the world, uh, folks from Somalia and Syria and Iran and Iraq, from all over Europe and all over Asia, I got to worship with a few hundred kids from around the world in Garland. Does that, is that surprising any of you? Isn't that incredible? In Garland. I like made a left, went straight for a while, made another left, and I was there, and I'm like, whoa, the nations are here. How do we not know about this? The nations are gathered here. We can declare the glory of God here and actually reach the nations. So the disciples and apostles are filled with the Spirit. They're miraculously proclaiming the glory of God in languages they had never spoken. Many of the languages probably never even heard. And people began to gather. They, they come because of this miracle and they're gathering in or somewhere near the temple. And so you've got this big group of people that begins to amass. And they had heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And they were like, I wonder what that means. And then they began to hear another sound, another entirely sound. And, and it started to confound their, their brains. They were bewildered. And they were amazed. And they were astonished. Family, we need to realize that when God does the miraculous, and we're going to see this through the entirety of the book of Acts, when God does the miraculous, it is always for either the proclamation or the confirmation of the gospel. It's for the proclamation and the confirmation of the gospel, and it is always to the glory of God. The miraculous is never to the glory of man. And we, we sometimes have this itching desire to just see the miraculous for the miraculous sake. That is not the purpose of miracles. God gives the miraculous speaking of tongues to bring a crowd together so the gospel can be proclaimed. And this crowd, they lean in, and they're like, what does this mean? And there's this peripheral group of naysayers. They're like, they're just drunk. And so Peter stands up in the, in the midst of this crowd. This, this failure of Passover is now the great preacher of Pentecost. Isn't that incredible? God uses just absolute failures. Verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and he addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. We wait till at least noon to crack the bottle. It's only 9 a.m. No, what he's saying is these people are intoxicated with liquor. They are filled with the power of God. And Peter, is he's going to preach a sermon. Oh, the power of a sermon. 
He is going to declare a biblical message. I want to point out that Peter's sermon is, first above all, it is biblical. He is going to quote from the Old Testament. He is going to quote from the book of Joel. He's going to quote from multiple passages out of the book of Psalms. He is preaching a biblical, biblical sermon to, to state, this is what you're seeing. This is, where the, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. And then to teach specifically the death of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, and the ultimate exaltation. He is the Lord through the Old Testament. Did you know that we don't read into the Old Testament the teaching of Christ? We draw out the Old Testament teaching of Christ. It is the great privilege of every Bible student to study the Old Testament, to glean, and to see these passages that speak of Christ. I'm often thinking of the, the two anonymous disciples who are walking along the Emmaus Road with Jesus in Luke chapter 24. And they're walking along. They have no idea that this is a resurrected Jesus in their midst. And then he reveals himself. And he begins to expound from the books of Moses all the way through the prophets, all of the passages concerning himself. Can you imagine being a part of that Bible study taught by Jesus? How many of y'all would like to be there? Wouldn't that be awesome? Let's, um, wait, oh, we get to do that. <laughs> we get to do that every single day. I, I cringe when I hear Christians say, oh, I don't read the Old Testament. I've heard really faithful people say that. And I'm like, oh, don't say that. Two-thirds of our Bible is the Old Testament. We get to discover and pull out and draw out and just see these teachings of Christ. And then we get to the joy, the incredible joy of seeing it fulfilled in the New Testament. These people are not drunk. He quotes from Joel. Well, this is powerful. Powerful. Because the question that he's seeking to answer is, what does this mean? Like, why are there 120 wild-eyed, glory-filled people proclaiming in all of these languages? And Peter's going to say, well, it's just what Joel said. Just what's written in the book of Joel. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 16. He's quoting from Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. He says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days. Do you all see that? And in the last days? That's not actually found in the book of Joel. Peter inserts that, and I'll explain to you why. So cool. And in the last days, it shall be God declares that I will, what is the, the phrase? I will pour out. Okay, if you have a Bible, underline that or highlight it in your deal. Can you just underline two words in an app? Oh, you got to highlight the whole, the whole gig? Okay. Just remember, pour out, okay? Highlight the whole thing. Uh, my spirit on all flesh and your sons. Here's the consequence of the byproduct of the Holy Spirit coming. Your sons and your daughters will, shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will... Pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. First, that phrase I told you to look at, in the last days. Peter inserts that intentionally because he is preaching to a group of people and he's like, we're in the last days. We are. I will often pe hear people say to me, they're like, the times are near, brother. And they always have this really serious, the times are near. We're in the last days. I'm like, I know it. We have been for 2,000 years. Did you know that we have been in the last days for 2,000 years? From the moment that Christ ascended and was exalted in heaven until he returns. These are the last days. And in that process, in that, in that period of time, in that dispensation, Christ has poured out his Holy Spirit. 
The phrase pour out is fascinating. I quote here from John Stott. This is so good. The picture is probably of a heavy tropical rainstorm and seems to illustrate the generosity, listen to this, of God's gift of the Spirit. Neither a drizzle, (laughs) nor even a shower, but a downpour. Listen to this. It's finality. For what has been poured out cannot be gathered again. It'd be like trying to collect the individual raindrops. And it's universality widely distributed among the differing groups of mankind. That the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, not indiscriminately, but on all who believe in Jesus. All who proclaim and call out on him as the Lord, the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. No matter what your age or your nationality or your societal setting, the Holy Spirit is for all who believe in Jesus. Did you know the gospel is literally for everyone? Have you heard that? It's semi-biblical, right? The gospel is for who? All right. Quoting again from John Stott, he says, All flesh means not everybody irrespective of their inward readiness to receive the gift. No, God will not pour the Holy Spirit into a heart that is rejecting the promise and the gift. He will not do that. A person who does not call out on the Lord, does not seek Jesus for salvation, no, God will not pour the Holy Spirit in that person, but everybody, irrespective of their outward status, will receive There are spiritual conditions for receiving the Spirit. Family, what are the spiritual conditions? Belief. Belief in what? Hmm? Christ. Death, burial, resurrection. That sounds biblical, right? Okay, so here's how it works. And and I'm going to first talk about repentance. Okay, so you take a person like me, for example, 16 years ago. Maybe there was a God, maybe there wasn't a God. Okay, I didn't really know. And I'd heard about this Jesus, and I used it every time I, I was really upset. You know, Jesus Christ, you know when you say that? You guys probably have never done that. That's the only time, I guess that's the only time I preached his name. So that's who I knew of Jesus, maybe some religious figure. Then somebody began to show me the Bibles, began to teach me the scripture, and I came to realize not only is there a God, but there is a creator who has sovereignly created all that exists, including myself. And not only is he the creator, but in his divine plan, he set out to save lost humanity, separated from God by sin. So he sent his one and only son to die for the world's sin on the cross. He was buried. He conquered death, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is exalted. And then it gets better. Because I repented of unbelief, And I believed in Jesus. And I went, not only is he the Savior of the world who died for the world's sins, he died for my sins. I need a Savior. I put my faith, my trust in him. I called out on him. And I was saved, and the Holy Spirit was poured out, literally a deluge into my life, from Christ. So when, he, when John Stott writes this, there are spiritual conditions for receiving the Spirit. You guys, I hope, have a better idea of what those are. But there are no social distinctions. Family, this is radical. If you can truly understand this, this is, this is mind-blowing when it comes to religion. Because there are certain religions that are, there are distinctions when it comes to sex and when it comes to age and rank and social status and all that. But when it comes to the gospel, there are no distinctions. Male or female, young, old, no matter your rank or your social status, the gospel is for everyone. All who believe will receive. Peter then continues to quote 
Hope you're tracking with me right now. Peter continues to quote from Joel's prophecy. And the the first reason he's doing it is to to explain the miracle that this is a fulfillment of the promise the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all who believe. But he's also preaching this prophecy so that every single person that heard this message would know that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Peter continues to quote from Joel and now is emphasizing another day. And so Peter starts by saying the last days and that day often referred to as the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. Can somebody please tell me what the day of the Lord is? Hmm? Judgment. And what else? It's twofold, actually. This is really cool. Anytime you read the day of the Lord in the Old Testament from the prophets, it has first in in its view, judgment. The judgment that will be poured out and in through the tribulation. And then it refers to the establishment of what? God's kingdom. The millennial reign of Christ here on planet earth. And so Peter's going to say, whether you're in the last days or you're on that day. No matter what day you find yourself in, all who call upon the Lord will be saved. Look at verse 19. And I will show you wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Family, what does that sound like? Cataclysmic judgment. That is actually going to happen. He says before the day of the Lord comes, before he returns to establish his kingdom, that great and magnificent day. Oh, it will be. And then this next verse. This particular verse. When I was a youth pastor in San Diego, we had this group of students that would come every single Wednesday night. And there were these two brothers. They would come in so stoned. Oh my gosh, they'd like float through the doors. La, la, la. Hey, Chris. I'm like, hey, guys. How's it going? I'm really hungry, right? I'm sure you are. We got some snacks. You know, I didn't look at him and go, I can't believe you guys walked in here stoned into God's church. No, heck no, because I had walked in a few years prior that same way. I just loved them. One day, one of the brothers came up to me. I'd never seen him like this. He looked at me and he goes, I've been reading the Bible. I was like, ha That is a touchdown for a youth pastor. Tyler, where are you at? Give me an amen. 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 When a student comes up to you and says, I've been reading the Bible, you're like, I won the Super Bowl. Huh, Heisman. <laughs> right? Where are you at, Stephen? Is that right? I've been reading the Bible. Then he says, I read this verse. I knelt down beside my bed. And I called upon the Lord. And I was like, brother, you saved. Verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. No matter if you're in the last days or on that day, no matter who you are, where you are at, no matter what age, what what sex you are, or social distinction, you will be saved. And so then Peter says, Jesus is the Lord. The rest of his sermon is going to be focused on Jesus being the Lord. He has now shown why this miracle of the speaking in tongues has happened, but now he's setting out to say, you want to call him the Lord? Here he is. Jesus is the Lord. Let me tell you who the Lord is, verse 20, or verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. 
Listen up. Jesus of Nazareth, that's how he was known in the circle, by the way. He is speaking to a group of gathered, of gathered Jews who had actually seen, most of them had seen Jesus in action. And he says, this Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested that is proved to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. And there were actually people in the crowd that were like, yeah, we saw some of that. I mean, there was a lot of stuff circulating about this Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, sure, they had heard about his death, and some had even heard the rumor that he had risen from the dead. But they had all heard about the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. Like what? Like the stilling of the storm, uh, the healing of the sick, the raising of the dead, the miraculous multiplication of fish and bread. Walking on water, healing the blind, casting out of the demonic, all testify that Jesus is no ordinary man. He has authority over heaven and earth, life and death. Guess what, family? Jesus is the Lord. Someone said the man. <laughs> I love that. Who's the man? Jesus. Right on, Michelle. I like that. Jesus is the man. <laughs> and this Jesus was put to death by some of the exact same people who were gathered to hear the message preached at Pentecost. Some of those who were gathered at Pentecost 50 days prior had cried out, crucify him! Even the preacher of Pentecost had denied him. Oh, I, don't, I don't know, Jesus. We all failed. Everyone was guilty of Jesus' death, but here's the tension. It's this balance between God's sovereignty and humanity's free will. Because it was always according to the plan of God that the Lord would suffer and die for the world's sins, but that doesn't vindicate humanity for the death of Christ. Look at verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. What does that mean? It's his sovereign will and plan. And then look at Peter, what he does. This is so not seeker-sensitive. He like points the finger, you crucified by the hands of lawless men. You killed him. And it raises a very interesting question that I, I, I've been struggling with. So who's responsible for the death of Jesus? Who? Both God and man. You see that in the text? I mean, it just says that right in that verse. It is both God and man. God predestined it. Man fulfilled it. And so as I read that, it was always according to God's sovereign plan to send his one and only son to die for us, but that doesn't exempt or vindicate the guilt of humanity. And we can look at it and go, yeah, okay, so it was the Jews present and it was the Roman soldiers. They're guilty. But if we really consider it, Jesus died. Why? Because of the world's sins. So we ourselves are responsible to some extent for the death of Jesus. Let that just hang in the air for a second. We crucified. But it was always God's plan to save the very ones 
who put him to death. For Jesus to save, what would he have to do? He'd have to what? Okay, what else? What would have to happen after that? Do you guys realize that you just proclaimed something incredibly mind-blowing? Death lets go of no one. Verse 24. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death, that literally means the birth pangs of death. Through the birth pangs of death came the birth of life. Why? Because it was impossible for death to hold him, or it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was impossible for death to keep its grip on Jesus. The grip of death was pried open, the door of the tomb unsealed, and he is risen. Verse 32, this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And can you imagine there's 120 wild-eyed, spirit-filled witnesses, like, we've seen him! And there's thousands of gathered Jews, and they're like looking in. And I can imagine, like, you know when you see somebody, and they're full of the Spirit. Like, they're like radiating. You ever seen somebody like that? And it's almost like back in the Old Testament where Moses, he spends time with God and his face is radiating. The Shekinah glory is literally radiating because when you come in contact with the glory of God, you're going to radiate his glory. And they, it got to the point where they were like, hey, Mo, could you put a bag over your head? We can't sleep. You ever meet somebody that's like full of the spirit? They're like, you're like, hey, can you turn that down? A is there a dimmer switch? You can like warm your hands on them. They're so on fire. And they had seen him. They have seen him. And guys, through eyes of faith, we have seen him. We have seen him, and he is risen. And not only has he been risen, verse 33, he has been exalted. You all remember that old song? He is exalted on high. He is exalted. You all remember that? Some of you are like, sure I do. This is what that song means. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. See, poured out Jesus, okay? He ascended after rising from the dead. He ascended. We saw that in Acts chapter 1. As he ascended into heaven, he is then exalted, just like Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 says, therefore God has exalted him giving him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is what? The Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He has been exalted, and in his exalted state, he has then been given the Holy Spirit that he pours out. And in one verse, you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are triune Godhead. Wow. And then he gets insanely personal, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, God has declared him, Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And in that very moment, that pain, conviction, pierced their hearts, the blade of truth cut through the depths, the parts of their soul and their psychology, and it literally hurt. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It is a Greek idiom. It literally is saying like a knife blade to the heart, but it's speaking of a striking, deep wound and pain. Like, ugh! 
And the only thing they can do now is ask another question, brothers, what shall we do? They began by leaning in saying, what does this mean? Now they're like, oh, what do we do? They came to realize that they had been guilty of putting Jesus to death. They denied their Messiah. They rejected their Lord. They condemned him to the cross. They are guilty, and they're like, what do we do? And that moment should happen in each one of our lives where we've leaned in, we've asked, what does this mean? And then we realize that we ourselves are guilty of sin and need a Savior, and we go, what do we do? Don't leave people there, by the way. I met a young man one time was out street evangelizing. That was what I thought I was going to be doing. Pulpit ministry wasn't even on my radar. God's got a sense of humor. Um, this kid walks by me, open air setting, and he's, he's got his head down. And, and dude, I've never seen such conviction. And he, he looks at me, he goes, I've got to go home and read Exodus chapter 20. I was like, huh, it's weird. I mean, out of, I mean, it's not weird. The Bible's awesome, but like out of all of the passages that I would tell a person who is confused of or doesn't have a relationship with Christ, that I wouldn't send them immediately to Exodus chapter 20. And so I'm like, why? And he goes, I'm guilty of breaking the law. And I was like, yeah, me too, man. Did they tell you about Jesus and what he did for you? No, I'm just supposed to read Exodus 20. And I was like, oh my goodness, come here. And I opened up and I started sharing with him that God loves him for so much that he sent his son to die for him and, and that it is by grace we are saved. It is not of works, lest any man should boast and that we are all separated by God. But God demonstrates his love for us and this, that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. And I see this young, young guy and he's got tears in his eyes and I was, he's like, he didn't ask what do I do, but that's what he meant. And he goes, well, well what happens next? And I was like, do you want to receive Jesus as your savior? And he's like, yes. And I prayed with him, and then I saw him walk away. I had handed him a Bible, and he walked away. And I saw him talking with another group of his buddies, and, they're, and he's like this. And I'm like, oh, man, he was just messing with me. They're going to come and hack on me or whatever. And I'm just sitting there, and they're all like, and you know you're like wanting to have like the ability to like listen in, but you're acting like you're not watching. You're like, So this whole group of guys comes over and they go, can you tell us what you told him? And every one of them came to faith. How's that? What do we do? Peter declares verse 38, a very confusing verse for some. I don't know how people get this so insanely wrong. Uh, Acts 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hey, do we all need to stretch? I see you stretching, Stephen. Are you all getting kind of tired here? Let's stand up real quick. Come on. Let's take a deep breath. Come on. Come on, y'all. Get on up. All right, take a deep breath. All right, sit back down. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. And when you read that, doesn't it almost seem like you need to repent and then be baptized to be saved? Some of you grew up in church traditions where you were taught that you had to be baptized to be saved, or you had to, um, I don't know, attend church to be saved, or you had to do certain works to be saved, and that is not at all what Peter is teaching. What he is saying is you must first repent. And we get this one messed up too. Because what is true repentance? 
There is a, an initial work of repentance and there is a continual work of repentance. And this is how repentance actually works. Because often it is preached, you need to repent and turn from your sinful lifestyle, your sinful behavior, and you need to turn to Jesus to be saved. And that's not repentance at all. See, true repentance is turning from unbelief. Just like I described to you, there was a day when I came to realize that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and He is the Lord, and He was crucified for me, and He was buried, and He is risen, He is ascended, and He is exalted, and I called out on Him. That is true work of repentance. Where we turn from unbelief to belief in Christ. And then the work of repentance continues because not only do we call out on Him as our Savior, we start to follow Him as our Lord, and we seek out His Scripture, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we desire to obey Him and walk and follow after Him. Our thoughts change, our life change, everything changes. Amen? That is what Peter's talking about. You repent of unbelief, and you then demonstrate that, not only before the community of believers, but before culture, that you are now in Jesus through baptism. See, baptism is an outward symbol of what is taking place internally. Baptism is what is exactly supposed to follow faith in Christ. When you receive Christ, believers' baptism should immediately follow. In fact, the, the New Testament knows of no such thing as a non-baptized believer or an unbaptized believer. We repent, we believe, we receive, we are baptized. That's why I'm so excited about July 30th. Okay, we, as a church, as a community, we're going to go to the wet zone. Starting like 1 o'clock, we're going to grill dogs, we're going we're gonna to swim, we're going to go down the water slides, we're going to play volleyball. We're going to actually tangibly demonstrate to the culture and city and surrounding folk, folks that are coming to the wet zone that they are loved. But then at 7.15, man, we are closing down the park, and it's going to get straight holy. We are going to go to the lazy river. And we're going to have a baptism service right there so that each one of us who has not followed Christ in believer's baptism, and maybe you come to faith today. Maybe God is so rocking your heart that you're going to give your life to him today. Then on July 30th, I'm going to encourage you, sign up to be baptized. And that is that moment where you step into the water and you profess before everyone present in the culture and everyone else that you are now in Jesus. You are pictured the picture of being buried with him in death and you rise to him in life. And Peter says this, it's for you. The Holy Spirit is for you. Verse 39, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. What is that word? Everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And so here's the tension. Because in verse 21, we saw all who call on the name of the Lord. And then in this verse, we see everyone whom the Lord calls. And the question is, is it God who calls or man who calls? And the answer is both. See, God calls us and we call him back. That's how this works. If you are in Jesus, God called you. You're like, hello, God, I call out on you. I mean, that's how it works. I call out on Christ because he first called out on me. I love him because he first loved me. There are some people that day at Pentecost who don't get, there's some that don't get saved. Some who lean in and they go, I reject that. And there are some who are immediately called and they call out on Christ and they are saved. They are filled with the Holy Spirit and they are baptized. And then in verse 40, it says with many other words. See, it wasn't just me who's a wordy preacher. So was Peter. With many other words, he exhorted them and bore witness and continued saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. Can you imagine? He had the audacity to preach turn or burn. Can you imagine? Can you imagine me standing up here going, turn or burn? 
Man, that preacher, hellfire and brimstone there at Fire Oak Bible Television. <laughs> and you on Facebook, you know it's true. We got some folks back there in Facebook world. Save yourself from this crooked generation. You're not going to see that on our next t-shirt, are we? <laughs> Turn or burn. Welcome to Firewheel. I should make that a shirt, Renee, huh? Would you wear that shirt? I know you're busy today. Can I share one more story? Are y'all busy? Y'all got stuff going on today? Can we just hang out for a little bit longer? Okay. Miss Leah, I'm sorry. I love you. I know the kids. So um, early on when I, was, I became a believer, I didn't know it was weird to hold signs and like stand on street corners. And um, we're standing there, Madeline and I, we had, we had drawn up a couple of signs in Encinitas, and we're standing in the middle. They used to send, sell newspapers there uh, before newspapers kind of went away, and now we're on tablets and all that. Anyway, so we're standing there with signs, and my sign said, Jesus loves you. Uh, what did your say? Like, Jesus is our Savior. I mean, they were pretty, they were beautiful signs, and we're just sitting there waving at people, and everybody was waving at us. But our friend said, oh, hey, by the way, I'll meet you there. He's a graphic designer and like really talented artist. And so when he shows up, we notice people start flipping us off and screaming obscenities at us. And we're like, Jesus loves you? What's the... And I turn around and my buddy had painted this sign. It said, hell is real. And it showed people like falling into flames. <laughs> it was like, Scott, dude, you're going to have to go back and get another sign, man. It was so... So not, well, anyway, so that's what he's saying. Hell is real. Save yourself. Imagine that on a sign. Anyway, from this crooked generation, and here's the truth. We need to be saved from our generation. Our culture is corrupt. Our culture is caustic to our faith. It is cancerous to our souls. It is carnivorously devouring our flesh. It is destroying our families. It is decaying our morals. It is depleting our character, and it's destroying our children. And it is literally damning an entire generation to death. And we have a tendency to, like, toy with it, maybe dance with it. Heck, we even lay with it. And all the while, we need to be saved from it. And that day, 3,000 souls were saved. I love that it says souls. It doesn't say people. It says souls. God saved the soul. It's the eternal aspect of you. You have to answer this question today. Is your soul saved? Verse 41. So those who received his words uh, were baptized, and there were added that day about how many? 3,000 souls. Can you imagine? Next time we look at the book of Acts, we're going to try to answer the question, what do you do when 3,000 people show up? Could you imagine if 3,000 people showed up here on a Sunday? Ah, uh, welcome. One, one guy left after first service. He goes, you passed the plate, pastor. <laughs> no, man, you preach Jesus. And you reach them with the gospel and God calls them. They call back. They're baptized. They're discipled. They're trained. They become cultivated. They become champions for Christ. And we reach another 3,000. Amen? What do we do when 3,000 people show up? We'll look at that next time. But here, let me give you some applications. 
You all have done really, really well this morning. Now this afternoon. <laughs> First application is this. What does it mean? You're, this is the question that they ask when they lean in. And family, there are going to be people who lean in. They're going to look at your life. And they're going to go, what does that mean? Why is that person so loving and generous and kind? And we were often told, and this is kind of destructive, actually. It's really good on the surface. Preach the gospel without words. And we're like, that's so easy. Give a penny, take a penny in Jesus' name. Or like Larry. Uh, I'm going to use the word Larry. Not you, Larry, but another Larry. Imagine you, your, your neighbor is named Larry. And Larry's looking out his window. And you're over there, and you're manhandling his trash cans. And he's first like, why is my neighbor stealing my trash cans? But no, you're pulling them in for him. Like, you're being generous and kind. And Larry goes, wow, that's really nice of so-and-so. Well, I wonder what that, why he's doing that. If you just leave him there, I guarantee Larry's not going to see you pulling in the trash cans and go, oh my gosh, Jesus Christ died for my sins upon the cross, was buried and is risen. He has ascended into heaven. He's been exalted above all. And if I call out on him, my soul will be saved for eternity. The Holy Spirit will be poured out into my life and I'll be forever his. That was a powerful moving of trash cans. No, man, he's going to lean in and go, what does it mean? And when he asks, and when those people ask, when those people at your, co at your coworkers and the folks at school, when you're at the Berkeley College of Music, when they lean in, they go, what does it mean? You're going to have the privilege and the honor of being able to share with them the gospel. So secondly, what shall I do? And so we share with people the gospel. And when you truly realize who Jesus is, and you realize that there is a creator God, and you realize that he did send his son, and you realize that you do need salvation, and that there's no other name given by which we may be saved, and you call out on Jesus, you know that's the only way to be saved. The question is, what, what shall I do? Someone needs to be there to tell you you need to repent. That is, you need to turn from unbelief to belief in Christ. And you need to receive him as your savior. The Holy Spirit will be poured out into your life. You shall be filled. You are saved. Your soul is saved. And then you grow in that repentance daily, more and more. I want to be like you. I want to follow in your footsteps, Jesus. And I want to tell others about your name because everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gospel is for who? The gospel is for who? Even those people? You're telling me I'm supposed to love those people enough to share the gospel with them? Interesting. Final application. That encouraging word. It's our next bumper sticker. <laughs> Turn or burn. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Family, we are in some perilous times. And I need to say this. If we're not careful, if we are not vigilant, we will conform to the pattern of this world. Did you know the world is trying to conform you, your kids, your family to the pattern of this world? If we're not careful, if we're not vigilant, we will be conformed. That is why the scripture says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. That is, have your thinking changed in and through the power of God's word in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, and then you live your life as a living, breathing sacrifice to God. A living sacrifice, you lay your life down. We live for him above everything. We are to live for him above everything because Jesus is the 
He is the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've talked an awful lot about you. And now we turn to talk to you. Jesus, we testify as individuals and as a community, you are the Lord. Your works testify that you are the Lord. Your death, your resurrection, your ascension, and your ultimate exaltation all testify that you are the Lord. And your word says that all who call out on you shall be saved. If you were here and your soul is not saved, and you have not received Jesus as your Savior, and you're sitting here and you know it, and you want to receive Jesus today, and you want to call out on him, I'm going to ask that we keep our eyes shut. But if that's you, I want to pray with you. Can you raise your hand? You want to receive Christ today as your Savior. Amen. Anyone else? Okay, you who raised your hand, can you look up here? Jesus died for you. For you. He was buried and he was risen. And the Bible says if you believe in him, you will be saved. Do you believe in him? And you are saved. You are forever a daughter of God. And nothing can separate you from his love. The Holy Spirit deluge is being poured out. I know you can't see it, but it is. You are sealed in him. Welcome to the family. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace for us. Fill us with your spirit today that more and more we proclaim you. Thank you for this gal who's given her life to you. Angels in heaven are celebrating her. Oh, Lord, we love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up to celebrate.